Let's begin by reading uh, verses 18 through 29 in Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our way through the letters to the seven churches. We'll read through it and I'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll expose it a little bit. Uh, verse, starting in verse 18 of Revelation 2, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. And behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the church will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, but to the rest of you. Verse 24, and Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule, over, he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh. <clears throat> Jesus is writing some letters. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, 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 half of it's just super convicting and half of it's super encouraging. As it is when we handle the double-edged sword of the Word of God. Amen? And so uh, in verse 18, he says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, that's the opening verse. And, and like most letters, uh, you, you kind of find out who's being written to in those first verses. And so uh, we already have seen over the past few weeks, uh, in the opening verse of each of the seven letters, we, we'll see who it's addressed to. And in this case, the church being written to uh, by the Lord through John, the apostle here, uh, is the church in Thyatira. And there should be a little maybe map. Was there a map or no? There's no map today. <clears throat> I, I know you're, you're discouraged, but basically a map of, uh, of, of modern day Turkey. I was hoping to just, you know, no, it's just a little bit inland from one of the other ones. It really doesn't make a difference, but Thyatira was what is in now modern day Turkey. Actually, all the churches that are being written to are in modern day Turkey, and it's now called uh, Akishar, Akishar, something like that. That's the name, and that actually, the modern name means White Castle. So if you want to know where that, that hamburger place came from, it's from Turkey. Um, no, that's not right. You should instantly, your discernment should be going off. Um, no, but Thyatira is about 50 miles, just to give you kind of a geographical, geographical background. Um, it's about 50 miles inland from the Aegean Sea, so it's not a coastal city. Um, and was originally built by one of the predecessors of Alexander the Great as a military outpost. And actually, it was originally there to protect the road to Pergamum, which was on the coast. We talked about that last week. Uh, but because it was built on flat ground, it kept getting, oh, there it is, look at that. There's Pergamum, and then I don't see it. Oh, there it is. Thyatira, yeah, a little bit inland and south. That really doesn't help. Sorry about that. 
but anyways, uh, because it was built on flat land, it didn't have any natural defenses. And so guess what places in the old world happened to places that were built on flat land with no defenses? They got conquered over and over and over and over. And that's exactly what happened to Thyatira. They were conquered over and over and over and over. Until the Romans came along, uh, basically at the time of this letter, the Romans had this occupation and they had, they had taken the place. And actually under their rule, uh, under their province, the place had actually thrived. And so there was a benefit to that, uh, to the Roman control. Unlike Ephesus and Smyrna and all these, Pergamos and all these other places that we've read about so far, this really wasn't a religious center. It wasn't uh, a religious center. It wasn't on the coast. Uh, it seemed like the more coastal ones were religious centers, but uh, it wasn't a religious center. The main, the main god they worshipped in that city was the sun god Apollo. And, but the, one of the unique aspects of, of this city, Thyatira, which is important to what we're kind of talking about, was that they were known for their guilds, which would be kind of like the modern day unions. And by the way, this is not a, a knock on unions or pro, pro whatever, but it, that's the kind of the way that we can relate to what, a, what the guilds were kind of like. It was a group of people who bounded together, but here's, here's the catch of the various industries uh, in Thyatira, they were especially known basically for their wool and their dyed products, especially um, purple. Like purple was like a majestic color, and if you wore purple, that would be a status symbol. And so they, they produced this stuff in that, in, in that city, and it came from like the matter root, basically things being dyed there. But to have purple was a, a, um, a status symbol, and it implied the person was doing well. Uh, if you remember in Acts 16, uh, Remember we ran into Lydia? Lydia was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Acts 16, Paul's preaching in Philippi, and he came across that woman named Lydia. I'll just read it for you real quickly. Acts 16, 14 through 15 says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God or a God-fearer. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so not, you can tell she's a pretty savvy saleswoman. Uh, (laughs) And she kept pressing until they finally came to her house. And so Lydia's was this businesswoman from, from Thyatira who was a seller of purple or purple products. And most likely, as a businesswoman, she was interacting with these guilds. It was, that's what dominated all the business there in Thyatira. She had the interaction with these guilds. And the challenge facing anyone working for a guild is that all those guilds had their mascot gods associated with them. You know how like football teams have their, have their mascots? Well, they had their mascot gods. And what would happen is they would start their meetings with a, a prayer to these gods, often with a sacrifice or whatever it might be. And then they'd go through their business meeting. At the end of the, end of the meeting, quite often it would divulge into whatever worship was of that god. And so it would, it would go into these things, the sexual morality and food sacrifice sacrificed idols, and all that stuff. And so to be associated in the business world, you'd have to be connected to a guild. And if you're connected to a guild, you'd, you'd have to interact with and deal with this worship that was just thrown on you as a believer. And so what would happen is it would go against many people's conscience, and they would, they would have to not be connected to a guild, and they would lose their livelihoods because of it. Now, I, I don't know if you can see the connection or not today, uh, but there are things that are being asked of, of, of business people and things that are ungodly. 
and to be in business, you must uh, adhere to certain practices and support them and promote them and all these types of things. And so you can imagine just as today, it's getting more difficult back then with just gross craziness, how difficult it must have been for, for a believer like Lydia to, to just hang out uh, and, and be a part of that community. And so it, it was, it was, there was some difficulties facing Christians in Thyatira as most of the commerce was filtered through these guilds. And so there's that pressure for compromise that faced the church over and over and over no matter where they were. And Jesus keeps coming back to this over and over again. Um, and so while not the center of religious worship like some of these other cities, um, the system of commerce in Thyatira was deeply rooted in paganism. And to be a believer who was set apart from that stuff came at a high cost. It came at a high cost. And so the Lord is writing to the church in Thyatira. And, and not only does he open with a verse by telling um, who, he, who is being written to, uh, he's talking about the city, and I just gave you a little historical background there. But then he tells them who is writing to them. He wants them to know who's, who's speaking the words to them. And verse 18 says who is actually writing to them. We know it's the Lord, but it says the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So this is none other than the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And Jesus identifies himself to the church with three distinctives. He gives them three things that they can focus on about who is writing to them. And the first thing he says is, this is the son of God writing to you. And and this just flat out speaks of Jesus' deity. That's exactly what he's saying. He's, listen, I'm the son of God, and that's who he's writing to you. He's not writing to them as the son of man. He's not trying to identify with their humanity. He's saying, I am the son of God. I created the universe. I'm in charge. I'm the head of the church. I am writing to you. I am the son of God. And he's telling them that's who is there who's writing to him. And the, the reason why you can only guess why he's doing that is because he's going to speak with authority. He's going to speak about authority to this church. He's going to correct them, but he's also going to encourage them and give them promises regarding authority. But the reason that he is doing this, again, is, is to get their attention. Who's talking to you? Now, how many of you uh, get junk mail all the time? You know, uh, and, and, and you just what they're constantly trying to do is make you think that that's important, right? And they're trying to do it through various ways. And, they, and, it, and it's always, you find out and you start reading and you go, oh, this is not important whatsoever. But when the Son of God is writing to you and starts out and says, this is, this is the Son of God writing to you, um, you kind of don't put that in the junk mail pile at all. And this is not all, he, he not only says he's the Son of God to them, but secondly, he says, yeah, I have, <laughs> has eyes like a flame of fire. And, and, and pulling from his description of chapter one, which is later repeated in chapter nine, 19, uh, but the idea is that he has these eyes of fire that pierce through anything. They're refining. They, they, they can see through the, the situations you're in. They know everything that's going on. It's just a purifying, holy gaze. Nothing is hidden from him, and that's the picture. And I'll read the Revelation 19.12 when the Lord returns, it's described of him like this, Revelation 19, 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This is the rider on the white horse. Uh, um, 
His eyes are like a, f- a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, by, and the name by which he is called uh, the Word of God. And so piercing, fiery eyes, robe dipped in blood. I mean, this is all talking about this guy's Jesus is serious. Again, this is not the flannel graph Jesus that we get. This is the risen Lord of the church and he and he is holy and he is looking into his church and he's seeing what is commendable and what is not and he's letting them know what he sees so piercing fiery eyes and then jesus thirdly identifies himself as having feet like burnished bronze macarthur says this speaks of his purity and holiness that tramples out impurity and that's kind of how it is and so you got this idea of if jesus means business right Jesus, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, writes to the church in Thyatira. And then after saying who is who, writing the letter, this is where we pick it up here, uh, he says, he tells them what he knows. And again, this isn't a cursory knowledge, this is an intimate knowledge. And he begins in verse 19, he says, I know what? Your works. And again, he starts this, whenever he says, I know you works, that works is kind of like a, 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 a title. And then he starts to break down what those works are, works or fruits. And so the Lord intimately knows his church. He knows what they're doing and he knows what they're doing well. And he wants them to know that he knows what's commendable. And, and the basic idea is that this was a church that had commendable spiritual fruit in growth. And he says, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And so basically four, four identifiers under the category of works. And the first that he commends them in is their love. Their love. One of the true marks of a believer is love. Is it not? Yes. First, love for God, then love for one another. And the word here for love is agape. It's the big one, right? Agape. And this type of love is a love that always has the welfare of others in mind. It's a sacrificial love. We see it in John 3.16 and other places, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he did nothing about it. No. For God so what? Loved the world that he what? He gave. See, it's a love that compels to charity. It's a love that compels to mercy. It's a love that compels to sacrifice. It's a love that compels. It looks at the other person and says, I'm going to give what you need. That's the kind of love that God has. It is a sacrificial love. And that is the kind of love that he shared from the beginning of the universe with the Son, Father, Son, and Spirit before the worlds were created. And he has come to save us and to bring us into that relationship of love. Not only now, but forever and ever. Amen. It was God's sacrificial love that compelled him to give his Son. Likewise, it is the kind of love that marks a believer and is to mark the church. Amen. It's to mark a believer and it's to mark the church. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's a work. It's actually a good work. It's a work of God. It's something that flows out of our relationship with Him. When we are connected with Him and when the Spirit is in us, the thing that wants to get out and grow in us is the love of God to overflow to one another. And so Tyre actually is, is the first church commended for their love. 
got four, this is the fourth church in and only one has been commended for their love. And so that's one of, of, of the things the Lord connects with them. Secondly, Jesus commends the church for their faith. This is better to understood as faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, the true believers in the church were consistent in their devotion to the Lord. They were faithful to the Lord. If you remember in Acts 2.42, uh, when, the, when the church was born, what happens? The, the church is, is kind of typified by some things. In Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. They made it a priority. They were devoted. They were faithful not to programs, but to the things the Lord was calling them to. Amen? Yeah, so a church is, uh, one of the identifiers of a church is, is faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Lord. Love, faithfulness. Thirdly, the church was commended by the Lord for their service and patient endurance. Uh, the picture here is that love and faithfulness produces something, doesn't it? It, it actually works itself out. You can say you have love and you can say you have faith, but if you don't have works, your faith and love basically aren't really happening. If you love someone, you're going to meet their needs, right? For God so loved that he gave, right? Love one another deeply from the heart. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. If you love me, you'll obey my command. And this is my command that you love one another. See, Jesus says, my love language is obedience. That's how you show that you love me. It's by your obedience. And here's what I ask you to do. Now go love one another the way I loved you. How's that? Sacrificially, truthfully, and to the glory of God. It's awesome. But if you love someone, you're going to meet their needs. And by the way, you're going to meet their needs even if obstacles come. That's, notice they said it's patient endurance. That has the idea of overcoming obstacles, to continue to love, to continue to be faithful, even when hard times come. And that's what I love about this last year, is it really revealed a lot about the inner workings of my heart and of our hearts, didn't it? Gosh, it showed me how selfish I was. Anyone else? And, and a lot of those things, you know? And also the ways that we're, you know, we actually endured in and, and, and continued in, in good works together as a fellowship and individually, Amen. And boy, there's a lot of prayers that we had to go, Lord, forgive us and help us to get right back on track with you. It clarified a lot of things about us, but this church was a church that patiently endured. They continued. They let their love work out. They let their faithfulness work out. Nothing stopped them from doing those things that, that would please the Lord. And then the Lord lets them know lastly that their works were increasing. It was to the point where their good works were currently, they were currently engaged in. The things that they had been, been uh, faithful to and growing, they weren't stagnant. They were eclipsing the first works. And the picture I kind of had in my mind is, isn't this what we desire, like for, let's just say, our kids? That they have character, and then that the things that they would do um, would, uh, would build upon that character and as that character and the responsibility grows, those things we continue to build, continue to build based upon that, continue to build until it becomes more and more and more. It's like the building that's being built. He's saying, listen, not only were our, our first works awesome, but they continued to compound. They were growing like a healthy tree bearing good fruit. They kept bearing fruit in their season. How many of you have had trees where you start off and it's like you get like two oranges? And you're like, oh man, well, you guys don't have oranges. Um, <laughs> Cherries. Get two cherries. 
Someone help me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the next year, there's a little bit more and 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 that you see the maturity of the tree come in until it's almost being broken by all the weight of the fruit and you kind of have to trim it back. That's the idea. This church kept growing in their good works. It was awesome. Year after year, just faithfully enduring, encouraging and growing in the Lord. That's the picture of this church. And Jesus looks at this church and he says, man, that is awesome. That is so good. That is what I desire as I walk through my church to have a church that reflects my character. And that's what a Christian is, is someone who reflects the character of Christ, of love, of faithfulness, patient endurance, and all these things, the characters of the Lord, characteristics of the Lord. Amen? So that's who this church really was. And, and by the way, conversely, you can really tell when a church is having trouble when the opposite of happening is happening, when there's a lack of sacrificial love. And you can also tell that in an individual as well. When there's a lack who calls himself a believer, there's a lack of sacrificial love. There's a lack of devotion to the Lord and to one another, a, a lack of good works, a lack of perseverance, a lack of all these things, right? A lack of these things abounding. And the Lord has to address some of the churches like that as, as we have seen. But the Lord says to this fellowship in Thyatira, says, man, I commend you in these things. Good job. How many of you are encouraged by that, huh? Yeah, it's like, thank you, Lord. That's, that seems to be a lot of what's going on there. So the Lord has is, is got encouragement for many of us this morning, and I, I don't want to play the Lord. So um, let the Lord speak to you on that. And so he encourages his church, but like most churches, like most believers, while we have a lot of things that are really going well, how many of us realize we, we have got some things that aren't going well? Well, such is true with this church as well. And according to verse 20, the Lord turns from commendation to correction. Remember, truth and love, right? From encouragement to exhortation. And Jesus says in verse 20, but you've got all that going, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so one of the issues that faced uh, many of the churches that the Lord is writing to is the area of compromise that has taken root within the church. There was a compromise. We spoke about it last week. And if Pergamum last week was the worldly church, this was the, the compromised church. This is a church that toler had a tolerance towards sin among them. And particularly, they tolerated this woman, Jezebel, who the Lord called Jezebel. They had become tolerant of this particular woman in their fellowship who was uh, who was actually a false prophet, a false teacher, and her teachings were seducing people away from the Lord. Now, Jezebel probably is not this woman's name. He is just identifying her with the Old Testament Queen Jezebel, right? Uh, how many of you remember Ahab married Queen Jezebel who came from a different land and she brought with her uh, in her influence the false gods of Baal and Asher and all these other people, all these other gods. And, and, and that was the main thing that the Lord's painting here. Jezebel came from that pagan background, and when King Ahab married her, uh, she brought with her just this great, powerful influence of this fa the false worship of these gods. And associated with the false worship of these gods was sexual morality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Those were the symptoms, basically, the things that were going on of a heart that went away from the Lord. And it didn't take long under Jezebel's influence 
uh, of Ahab, her husband, king of Israel and north, for the entire nation to be plunged into this false worship. It didn't take long. Ahab ended up building a temple in Samaria, and we know Samaria were the people who kind of intermingled their gods um, uh, with, with the one true God. And he ended, up, he ended up going down there and building a temple to Baal. He ended up worshiping Baal there, and it, which was not good. And, and with a temple and with a with a uh, altar came priests and sacrifices and all the things associated with false worship got ushered in to the community of Israel more and more. And in addition to the worship of Baal, Jezebel um, in, influenced the worship of Asherah, uh, the fertility god. And so there were fertility, fertility poles being put up all over the place and all that kind of stuff. And Jezebel not only influenced the worship, she killed many and sought out to kill many of the, the true prophets of God. Remember, Elijah was alive during this time. And uh, she, she killed all the prophets of the Lord, as many as she could. And in their place, it says there in uh, 1 Kings 18 that she had 450 uh, prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah eating at her table. So you can imagine what that was like. And if you remember also in 1 Kings 18, it, it, it was actually the prophet Elijah who challenged them all at Mar- Mount Carmel. Remember they had the, the prophet duel basically and they had two different, uh, two different sacrifices there and they said, you know, whoever's God, God calls down fire and, you know, uh, basically that's the true God and all these guys were cutting themselves and doing all the weird things that they do and, and, and all day and all night and nothing happened and no, no sacrifice and then Elijah goes ahead and just drenches his, his offering with water. Just the whole thing is just like a swimming pool basically with the sacrifice in the middle and he calls to God and God calls down fire and it licked up all the water and consumed the sacrifice. And then Elijah turns around and says, now go kill all these guys. And they went and they slaughtered all these prophets of Baal and Ashroth. And then Jezebel hears of this. And what happens? She wants to go kill him. So she starts to chase him. Then he runs away out into the wilderness. And this is where he hears the still small voice and all that type of stuff. And then he wants to come back. But he says, Lord, I'm scared of coming back. Everybody is against you. And that was technically, like, statistically pretty true, but the Lord said, listen, there's still, like, I think it was under 10,000 that that had not yet bowed the knee to Baal. But the idea is that only 10,000 had not bowed the knee to Baal out of how many people? Hundreds of thousands, a million or more? Jezebel's influence had totally decimated Israel. That was the point. He dragged them all into this false worship. It was influenced. And they were dragging, in, in, in dragging them into this false worship, the things that typified it were sexual morality and eating food sacrificed to idols, which were part of these rites and rituals. And so the Lord says to the church in Thyatira, you tolerate this woman Jezebel. You're tolerating this. You're tolerating her. A woman similar to Queen Jezebel who had infiltrated that fellowship of believers and through her influence was seducing people away from the worship of the one true God and enticing them to follow these desires. And the Lord says, you're tolerating her. 
And either way, that word tolerate means this idea of, of divorce. I know that's kind of a weird play on words and it kind of makes us a little bit confused. It, it, and the idea behind it is that you totally, you've totally ignored her. You haven't dealt with her. It's not that you haven't in, ignored her socially. It's that you have not addressed the issue whatsoever. You've totally let it go. You aren't even interested in dealing with it. And they wouldn't address it. And that was their sin. And she weaseled her way as someone who had great spiritual insight into the church. And part of her influence within the church was that she called herself a prophetess, right? She got special abilities. You be careful when people walk in and say, hey, I'm pastor so-and-so and I'm prophet so-and-so and I, I hear things. We gotta be careful Back in Israel's day, the Lord gave pretty clear instructions for the people of Israel regarding how to determine if a person was a prophet of the Lord or not. This is Old Testament, so just connect with the Old Testament for a minute. Don't, don't, don't say this is how the New Testament works. It's not, but the principle is the same. In Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4, it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, how about that? Someone comes into CCF or a sign of sign and a wonder. You're like, oh my gosh, this must be of the Lord. How awesome is that? Or this person's a gifted teacher. Or man, I was just really emotionally blessed. Or you know, whatever it might have been. Like there just was this influence that happened. And he says, and the sign of wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, <clears throat> let's go after other gods, <laughs> which you have not known, and let us serve them. The Lord says in, 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 in verse 3, he says, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So don't pay attention to miracles. Don't pay attention to charisma. Don't pay attention to all of that stuff. Look at where they are leading you. Are they leading you, pointing you towards the Lord, or are they pointing you away? And Israel was to deal severely with false prophets. They were to kill them. Similarly, the early church was called to cast them out not to kill cast them out got to make sure clear cast them out amen get rid of them to remove them but instead of removing her and dealing with it they they tolerated her which is the easier thing to do isn't it it's always easier and the Lord was bringing them into correction for this and the Lord's correction of them wasn't out of the blue by the way verse 21 look how merciful and patient the Lord is I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual morality. So apparently she was given time by the Lord to stop this. We don't even know if she's a believer or not. Probably not. And so it had been going on for some time. And by the way, this woman was probably not a believer, and, and the Lord was only going to let this go on so long, but the Lord in his grace gave this woman time to repent, but she had become so hardened in her heart that she would not repent. Remember back to Pharaoh 
It says that, you know, God came to him and he, and he gave him like, a, he said, let my people go. And, and he hardened his heart. And then finally God would do something and he'd let them go and they'd come back and he'd harden his heart and he hardened his heart. That was a repet, repetitive, repetitive. You got the idea. <laughs> the phrase that continues over and over, repetitive. But at the end, it didn't say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It said that what? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, there's no unhardening coming back from that. And that was the judgment brought upon Pharaoh, right? God gave him time to repent, but he did not. He gave this woman Jezebel time to repent of her sexual morality, the things she was involved with this false worship, but she would not. And she actually became hardened to the point where she was now influencing others and drawing people into this weird stuff. So the Lord said what he's going to do now. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And the word sick is not there in the original, but the idea is he's going to throw her down and she's not going to get up from it. That's the idea. She's going to be thrown down in judgment by the Lord, the one who is the son of God with eyes of fire and feet of burnished bronze. It's interesting that Queen Jezebel was thrown down. Remember that, her end? She was thrown out of her window. Jehu called up to the eunuch, said, throw her out. And, and she was thrown down to her death and, you know, she became dog chow. Lord Jesus, in defense of his name and his church, would cleanse this woman from her midst. But not only her, listen to who else he's dealing with. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. It's interesting that Jesus looks at this as adultery. Not only physical adultery was going on, but spiritual adultery to him. She was influencing the church away from him. And those who committed adultery with her, who went after her, who followed her teachings, he would do what? He would throw them into great tribulation. Um, Some people think this is talked about into the great tribulation. Um, If you look at uh, the letters as epochs, you can kind of maybe throw that into there. But I think this is simply great tribulation is great turmoil. These people are going to experience great turmoil at the hands of the Lord. They're going to have a great tribulation in their life and this could be leading up to death you know the lord has the ability to correct the church he talks about this in corinthians about those who take the cup on in an unworthy manner you guys remember that he says that's why some of you are sick and some of you've actually gone home early the lord's brought you home in judgment is the idea but the great tribulation here is probably not the great tribulation, uh, but it's great conflict or distress. And so these are believers who have followed her lies and have been influenced, and they wouldn't repent. And so the Lord has to deal with them. And then verse 23 says, And I will strike her children dead. Jesus will strike her children dead. Those who follow her, and the idea is you have an adulterous relationship with, with people who, uh, with, with children. And the idea there is that those children are, are, would be the followers of them, so to speak. He's saying, I'm going to take care of the whole thing. Those, the one who started it, the one who was suckered by it, and the ones who now follow it are all going to be dealt with. The Lord will deal with it. So the Lord says, I will kill them. Pretty harsh words. He's going to kill these children, which are not children. They're people who follow after this. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with eyes of fire and feet of burnished bronze, won't have any of it. He's violently opposed to this. Violently opposed. 
And the result will be, verse 23, and all the what? All the what? All the churches will know that I am he who searches what? The mind and the heart. And I will give to each of you according to your what? Do not try to theologize this away. Jesus is not mincing words. He will give you according to what you have done. He will give me according to what we have done. We are not saved by our works. I know those sound like two contrary statements. <laughs> we got to know we are not saved according to our works. Want to make that clear as, as, as day. We are saved by grace through faith. But we also, I think, sometimes have a view of cheap grace. Should we sin that grace may abound? What? Certainly not. So this is, again, it comes back to the thing is that the church is to be holy. Why? Because of the grace. Because God saved us. Because this is our Lord. This is who he is. He's awesome. And I don't know about you, but I'm reading through these things and I've been convicted like crazy. Matt, you better take things more seriously. You know? And, and not, not that I'm judged, but my, my role in this, and, and I think you as well, am, am I devoted? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I bearing good fruit, Lord? As we look at our own lives and go, Lord, am I the tree that you, that you desire to have? You know, because the ultimate, this is what I want to say, is that we're not, he says, I will give to those according to their works. Good, tree, good trees bear what? Good fruit. Bad trees bear what? Bad fruit. And that's what he's talking about. You got some bad trees in here. And the reason why it's evident is because this is what they follow. And we know it's different because he's going to talk about the good trees in here in just a second, okay? So that's the encouraging part. Don't worry. But he's going to give us according to what we have done. And I just keep saying this. Believers believe. We keep on believing. Do we fall? Yes. Then the Lord cleanses us from all sin, all righteousness. 1 John 1, 9. We don't ever want to mess that up. But good trees do bear good fruit, amen? And that's why we're to be fellowshipping with one another. That's why we're to be encouraging one another, exhorting each other, and, and, and kind of getting the log out of our own eye first, right? We want to live in a holy reverence before the Lord and, and love and purity before him. But bad trees bear bad fruit, and Jesus, as Lord of his church, will not tolerate a compromised church. He just... He's just like that. He is light, and darkness is darkness. And he saved us from one kingdom into the other, and he goes, this is where we're going, kids. Let's go. <laughs> Amen? He's not going to tolerate compromise for too long. And some in Thyatira were compromised, and the Lord called them to repentance, lest he judged them. But lest we lose heart, church. Again, these are heavy letters, but lest we lose heart. Not all were guilty. Amen? Again, many were faithful. A lot were faithful. And I would assume it seems like most were faithful in this church. And so the heel, on the heels of this fiery warning, Jesus says to them in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have learned, who have not learned what some have called the deep things of Satan, to you I say, 
Do not lay, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The deep things of Satan, they're probably referring to some weird prophetic thing that she was espousing. Hey, you know, here's the prophecy. We're getting into the deep things of Satan. I'll show you mysteries and blah, blah, blah. You know, just kind of weird stuff. Those of you who don't hold to that, who just are a church that is a church of love, a church who, you know, has faith, who's faithful, a church who continues in good works, a, chin, a church who continues to, to endure. You guys that I was talking to in the beginning, hold fast. Hold fast on your good works to your love, your faithfulness, and your acts of service, and your perseverance, and your spiritual growth. Just keep going. I'll be there soon. Amen? Just keep going. I'm not laying on you any other burden. Just keep going. Keep growing. You know? Jesus says, hold fast till I come. That's encouraging for, for so many. We just need to hear, keep going till I come. Keep going. How many of you had a pretty rough time, you know? And you're just doing what you can do just to love the Lord and continue to obey him. The Lord would say, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't go back. Don't abandon. Don't go to the left or right. Keep following me. I'll be there soon. Either he's going to, we'll see him in the air or he's going to call us home. Verse 26, the promise. The one who conquers and who keeps my works till the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority from my father, The one who conquers, that's the one who overcomes the Jezebels, the one who continues on in the good works, that keeps the good works till the end. Those are believers. Believers believe. We just allow the work to continue to do the good work through us. Amen? Remember, it's it's him who is the one who causes us to work and to do, right? And yet we still need to obey in the doing. (laughs) But those are the ones who Jesus promises to give authority over the nations. These are the true believers. And in, th- in this life, we're not going to rule. How many of you are doing much ruling? By the way, the word for rule here isn't like smash down rule. It's the word for poimen, which is the word for pastor, which is the word for shepherd. It's pretty cool, huh? But notice it's with a rod of iron. And that speaks to what kind of rule there will be. In other words, there isn't going to be a toleration for sin in this situation. Righteousness will be enforced. That's awesome. (laughs) But those who love him to them will rule the nations with a rod of iron, with his authority, the authority of the shepherd. But again, a shepherd um, is to feed and protect, to guard, but also to enact mercy. And all these things. We're just going to be representatives of the Lord, and, and that's what he's saying. It's like, just as I've received uh, authority from my Father, he's saying, you're, you're going to be co-rulers with me. And I believe what he's talking about here is during the millennial reign of Christ. I think that's exactly what he's talking about. When the Lord comes back and establishes his thousand-year rule, that we are going to be ruling on the earth with him, with a rod of iron, and we will rule by his side, and it will be a time when righteousness is enforced. His righteousness will be the law of the land, 
And I think that's what every believer longs for. Don't you long for a land where he's, he's just righteous? I'm tired of the junk. Anyone else? Believers are tired of the junk. We just want goodness. We want the Lord. We want his reign, his rule, his ways are always best. Anyone else? Amen? On that day, the Lord will, uh, the, the world will be turned right side up. <laughs> right side up. As Habakkuk 2.14 says about that day, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. I come from San Diego and there's a lot of sea. And the picture is that it's gonna be inescapable. His righteousness will be inescapable. It will cover the earth during that time. How beautiful is that? And those who overcome will be given authority to shepherd with him. And so here's the cool thing. The roles are reversed right now. You have no control. You have no authority. You have, you're, you're being submitted to all these weird, difficult, hard things, and you're suffering under oppression and all the things that are going on that are ungodly. But guess what's coming? There's a day when that's going to be flipped around. Hold on. Wait till I come. Just continue to be faithful. I love that. And he says, and also in verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. He will give you the morning star. It's not a what, it's a who. Who's the morning star? Jesus. In every single one of these letters, he offers himself, he says, listen, in some picture, in some idiom, he always says, I'm gonna give you myself. And ultimately, you know, as a believer, it's like, I can't wait to get to heaven and see all the cool things, but you know what? He is my heaven. He is my life. I can't wait to see him face to face. And that is what every believer's cry is. I can't wait to see you. Jesus says, you overcome, I will give you myself. We will be together. I will be your prize. Hold on. Stay steadfast. Don't give in. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Faith keeps believing. I'm coming soon. And really, When he says he's coming soon, and I want to mention this, it's a purifying factor for the church that at any moment we could be face-to-face with the Lord. This one. It may keep us holy. I can't wait for that day. Revelation 22, 6 says again, and each, each of the speaks of him being the bright morning star. But verse 29, just in closing here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's the Lord saying to you today? What's the Spirit saying to you as part of the church? What's he saying to us as part of the church? Got any Jezebels going on there? Got any compromise that that needs to be taken care of in your life? All those types of things. Listen to what the Lord would say on that. Are you one who the Lord is encouraging this morning that you've been faithful, that you've been a, pers- been a believer who's demonstrating the fruit of love and growing in all these things and good works and you're persevering? Are you hearing what the Spirit's saying to you there? Keep going. Great job. Encouraging. Continue on. I'm coming soon. Keep going. Maybe we a church that's listening to him, his ears. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may we have ears to hear what you say. And uh, thank you for your letters here, Lord. They're heavy. Lord, we wouldn't have it any other way because we, we don't want to have things that just tickle our ears, Lord. 
but we want a true analysis of, of who you are and what you think because we exist for your glory. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, work in this fellowship of believers. And again, I, I pray for the church at large that we would be a holy, spotless bride presented to you, Lord, as you work in our hearts by your Spirit, but as we simply obey you. May you do a great and profound work in and through us for your name's sake alone, for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.